with Borderlands Cooperative. Welcome to our 177th programme of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're talking about class. Class. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And how unfashionable of us, shark! Isn't that a uh, <laughs> bit of a throwback to the sixties and seventies? Well, you'd think so, don't don't you? But in fact, class is more relevant now than ever, with uh, recordings to a variety of uh, recent research and renowned economists like uh, Stiglitz, Joseph Stiglitz, who was recently in Australia, and Thomas Piketty and others. According to recent uh, research by ACOS and by the uh, University of New South Wales, someone in the highest 5% of the income scale in a household has nine times as much income as someone in the lowest 20%. Uh, if you just think about that. Yeah, nine in, times as much. No, in the, if you're in the f- top 5%. The 5%. Nine times as much yeah. income in your household the, than those in the bottom 20%. That's, right. that's exactly right, mm-hmm. yeah. So in, in relation to, to wealth, uh, the people in the highest 20% of the incomes, of the wealth scale, they hold nearly two-thirds of all wealth, 64%. That's incredible. In general, income and wealth inequality have increased with neoliberal policies favouring the rich since the more or less the 1980s. Mm. Nevertheless, during the 25 years of Borderlands' existence since 1997, references to class have been almost like doing a bit of a disappearing act. Mm. Class has gradually disappeared from much of research and evaluation and educational research and programs. Mm. So even in conversations and discussions, just mentioning class may receive, at best, some surprised but mostly incomprehensive reactions. In my my own family, it usually gets the, there he goes again, a verbal (laughs) or non-verbal reaction. So I have even stopped trying there. Mm -hmm. In the landscape of academic or political publishing, class has equally been a disappearing act, going right back to the 50s, which in the Anglo-Saxon Western context should not really surprise, especially in US-dominated areas. Already in 1959, Robert Nisbet, the main figure in US sociology, wrote The Decline and Fall of Social Class, an article, big article, in the Pacific Sociological Review. Mm, 1959. So Robert Nisbet uh, was arguing that social class had disappeared as far back as the late 50s. That's right. That's exactly right. Class was almost like a a non-issue, was supposed to be a non-issue in the United States. Mm. And that line of thought certainly was kept alive alongside a public and academic discourse about the end of ideology, for example, starting with sociologists. Um, what's his name again? I 
keep forgetting Dan, Daniel Dan, someone. Yeah, Daniel someone <laughs> in the fifties. Just take our word for well. it. We can put the reference on later. That's right. Someone named and, Daniel in the fifties said this. <laughs> as well as Nisbet, and uh, all the way to Fukuyama, who wrote the end of history, the end of history, which yep. really meant the end of politics and the end of relevance of class, politically speaking. Yeah. Of course, which we don't, um, which has been really proven wrong. And actually, he's come out and said I was wrong himself. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Put on him. So he, he, that was pretty much relegating class to something ideological and unscientific, all of that. You know, class is just something really not scientific. It, it's a relic for some hard, hard, um, diehard lefties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. An unscientific ideological construction emanating from theoretical Marxists and from real on-the-ground Marxists like at that stage in the, in the USSR and in China. Mm-hmm. An example for that, Edward Chills attending a 1955 conference in Milan, in Europe, in Italy, he wondered in a sort of a mood which was proud with vindication, and I quote him directly, have the communists come to appear so preposterous to our Western intellectuals that it is no longer conceivable that they could be effectively subversive? Is it now thought that there is no longer any danger Danger, he said, of the working classes in advanced Western countries falling for their propaganda. Falling for their End communist propaganda. Yeah. So, so Edward Shields was suggesting that class, I guess, is some hopeless, hopeless communist propaganda. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ra- rather than something that's really happening. That's class isn't really happening. Mm. Um, for example. Um, with inequality in life chances or income or wealth or health. That Uh, must be just a figment of some people's imagination for ideological purposes. Part of the ideology of the opposition to what is really the right way of doing things in civilization, and that is a capitalist, democratic, that kind of stuff. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean. But then there was an enthusiastic but brief renaissance of interest in class in the late 60s and 70s, certainly in Europe. Yeah, so not just... Not just a time of the hippies, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but right. a time of great hope and, and movement towards social change on a, a range of fronts, really. Certainly, and I, I do remember how my learning in those 10, 12, 15 years just went on by, like, supercharged really Mm. during that time the idea of class was used as a way of understanding the world and how to organize for change but the global imposition of neoliberal and economic rationalist principles that followed put an end to that yeah with a vengeance that's right in nine basically already throughout the 70s but Mm. then particularly in the 80s with the advent of Thatcher and Reagan. Mm. We have commented well, quite a bit not about only this. Are, sorry, with Thatcher, not only are there no individuals, but there's mm. no such thing as class. That's mm. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so uh, during that, that time, uh, we have commented quite a bit about all of this in several of our programs, especially talking about work in two programs in May 2020, yeah. as people will probably remember. So I, I was living in the age, in the, sorry, in, the, <laughs> in, hey, in, the, in the United States, that right in the first half of the 80s, the decline of class stream of thought was certainly still quite prevalent. 
So, for example, in September 93, Clark, Lipset and Rempel were writing about, and I quote the title of their, of their major review article, the, decla- the, the declining political significance of social class. And they, for that decline, blamed the welfare state, not really blamed, they sort of said that the causes of that were the welfare state, the diversification of occupational structures, high tech, the um, the uh, rise of the services sector in the economy and rising affluence. Yeah, so, so Jacques, were, were they arguing that the reality of class was on the way? That's right, yeah. Uh, and I was going to say, were they arguing that or, or that people were becoming less aware of class in their understanding of the society they live in and how it works? That's, that's exactly right. So both, so, so they're arguing... Mm. That the reality of class is on the wane and awareness of class is That's on the wane. Right. And it certainly was supported by public media. It was certainly supported by research in academia, in, you know, it, particularly also the way in which particularly social research was dominated in the West by US research. So as well, political parties were said to have moved their attention away from class, moving to so-called social issues and to identity issues, including an, an emerging new nationalism. And in 2020, still... In the European context as well as in the US, uh, for example, in Europe and Italy, the usefulness of the idea of class was being questioned. Alberto Baldissera and Antonio Chiesi, they invited contributions to what was to become a book, and this has become a book. The title, Is the Concept of Social Class Still Useful? Which is our question. <laughs> That's right. They proposed that, and I quote, its weakness from today's point of view, and that's 2020, is that it is a collective concept with a low degree of compatibility with methodological individualism. They actually are referring to the way in which social science has been adopting that real research needs to be based on an individual unit. And that means, therefore, if you want to know about the collective, you first have to go to individuals Add them up, stick them in the computer, and then you get the yeah. collective so, rather so than seeing the collective as a body a, a body of, of influence in its own right. That has its own reality. That's correct. Yeah, so yeah. It, it sort of could be summed up in that phrase, the whole is the sum of its parts. Just, mm-hmm. you know, just, work, just put a figure, some sort of... Yeah. Metric on the figure and add uh, yeah, on the each exactly. individual added up, and you've got a picture of the whole. Yeah, and those Italians they continue to say while it can be used to describe the varying sources of many differences and inequalities, it neglects other relevant ones. Mm. So such as those associated with gender, ethnicity, religion, and generations. Yeah. So, so they were saying that class places too much focus on. Material and economic That's, uh, inequality. Yeah, yeah that is yeah. that is right. That is right. But has class? The question still need to be asked. We think has class disappeared for real, as much as it seems to have disappeared from public discourse and from academic research and from theorizing. Well, that's a billion-dollar question, Jacques. That's right. <laughs> um, 
Well, I know a mention of class is certainly discouraged, if not ridiculed, and we can see that on the home front in Australia. When someone mentions class in the public domain, they actually get accused of class warfare. Like, to mention class is to actually cause it. <laughs> and it, Otherwise, it doesn't exist. And, and, of course, this has the implication that it only exists in the imagination of some left-wing ideologues, mm. um, troublemakers. <laughs> and, and there are lots of examples, like in 2016, when Liberal ex-PM Scott Morrison said, quote, Australians are over this class warfare. They are over the us and them. <laughs> they are over it, unquote. That's right. Thank you. And just this year before the federal election, ex-Treasurer Josh Frydenberg warned voters about Labor's class warfare. <laughs> That's right. And, in, and the Republicans in the US insist that even mentioning class, for example, when talking about worsening inequality, is to misleadingly engage in class warfare. Meanwhile, meanwhile, several hyper-capitalists, for example, voiced by Warren Buffett, they can unashamedly, unashamedly say that, and I quote Buffett, there is class warfare all right, but it's my class, the rich class, that's making war, and we're winning, <laughs> unquote. Some rare honesty, which can evidently be expressed with impunity when you are so rich. That's right. The only class we often hear about, whether from politicians or in, politicians or in the media, is the middle class. And almost everyone seems to belong to that middle class, except on the fraying ends of that huge middle, the down and outers on one side and the very rich on the other. Yeah. Everything in between is middle. Or so they'd like us to think. So mm. I guess the idea is, being, is that if most people are in one presumably comfortable class... Well, the idea of class itself becomes redundant. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And from the media, one gets the impression that except for a handful of people at the top and the bottom, there really is only one class, especially so in the US. Yeah, so the mainstream media really has a lot to answer for with another one of these fake narratives that keeps going, as we've said lots of times. No wonder the idea of a working class, along with the idea of class itself almost faded into history. Yeah, still in the US in 2012, and that is the paradox. Responding to a question in research in surveys, which class would you say you belong in? The same results still obtained as they did in 1972, a roughly equal split between middle and working class for nine out of ten of Americans. Yeah, so that's incredible. Mm. Millions of Americans then still identify as working class mm -hmm. despite all the propaganda that we're, we're all one. We're all essentially one in our life mm, circumstances. Right. And I guess uh, you have to wonder what stops that translating into social action. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. correct. Yeah, it's sort of a and yeah, it's a form of assimilation to a normal middle which doesn't really has any kind of great differences anymore. On that note, let's have some music with Us and Them by Blue King Brown.
You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio 855 AM on your dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about class, how the notion that there is such a thing as class almost disappeared from our awareness and public discourse since the 50s, albeit with a bit of a revival in the 60s and 70s. And we're also talking about how the notion of class still at the moment seems to be coming back a bit. Anyway, we thought it's time to look a bit closer at the concept of class, especially after several Australian books have appeared recently with class as their central concern. Mm -hmm. In its suggested reading list, for example, for the holidays, the Australian Institute, the Australia Institute, sorry, refers to Thomas Piketty's Brief History of Equality, which in a way summarizes Piketty's two massive volumes which appeared, uh, I think, in 12... 2012 and 2019, mm-hmm. or 20, thereabouts. Uh, and uh, we often have referred to those in uh, in our own previous programs. Mm-hmm. The Australian Institute also recommends Cameron Murray and Paul Freiter's, uh, the, the, the title is interesting, Rigged, How Networks of Powerful Mates Rip Off Every Australian. Everyday Everyday Australians, that's right. Then there is Ben Snyder's Hard Labour, Wage Theft in the Age of Inequality, Mm. and Sam Wallman's exploration of unionism, Our Members Be Unlimited, and all of that in the last couple of months. We will be saying more about Ben Snyder's book, but we'll start with a closer look at another book. Stephen Threadgold and Jessica Gerrard's edited volume titled Class in Australia, published by, surprisingly really, Monash University Press, or University Publishing, they're called. Their introductory chapter, The Public Life of Class, helps us understand the Australian version of the presumed disappearance of class in public discourse and research. And I quote, On the night of the Conservative coalition victory in 2019, Prime Minister Scott Morrison declared, These are the quiet Australians who have won a great victory tonight. Therewith reiterating John Howard's use of the notion of battlers about 10 years, not 15 years before, and the popular and populist appeals to quote, ordinary Australians or working families, and especially middle Australia. Mm. The author suggests, and I quote again, that the rhetorical, the rhetoric, the rhetorical as- appeal and power of these figurations is that they encapsulate everything and nothing, while being easy to identify with. Yeah, so no close analysis of class required. That's mm-hmm. right. That we all belong to the middle, basically. Yep. The editors of Class in Australia state that class, and I quote, has a unique place in Australian public life. And when it is used rather than in inequality and disadvantage, it denotes relationally understanding the rapidly widening gap in wealth and prosperity experienced in Australia and globally. So they go back to the relation between groups of people, mm-hmm. the, the well-off and the not-so-well-off. Mm-hmm. Yet, most often class is eclipsed, markedly absent from public and political debates on poverty, inequality 
disadvantage and wealth, mm. unquote. We really can't discuss the various chapters included in the book, but it is a really, really good book. I loved reading it. But they fruitfully link the framework of class thinking with things like labor and employment, as we have done in the two previously mentioned programs, culture and education. And they conclude, interestingly, with two interviews, one with Aboriginal author and activist Larissa Berendt and one with social scientist Erwin Connell the latter having contributed substantially to the Australian research and theorising on class and off class since the late, the late 1960s. Raywin Connell comments are instructive. Her 1977 book, 1977 book, Ruling Class, Ruling Culture, remains a standard reference. When asked about the death of class discourse in in the 1990s... I like that phrase, Jacques, the death of class the death discourse. Of cl- that's right. Well, let's call it that. <laughs> Connell answered, and I quote, If you look back, if you read Piketty's books, by the time the death of class literature came around, economic inequality in global North capitalist societies was already increasing again. The polarization was growing, not shrinking, at the very time we were told that class was dead. And that's the polarization between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, exactly. And that the only things that mattered were identity or whatever that might be. Yeah, so it seems like the anti-class ideology, or what do we just call it, death of class ideology, as that ideology increases mm. and finds its footing... Um, alongside that, we get the real increase in inequality at the that's, same time. That's right. At the, that, at the same time that class is becoming more relevant than ever, yes. you get this dominant yeah. ideology that there is no class. That, but, so we're not supposed to call it class, which would actually show that it is a, a group, a relational issue. That means between rich groups and poor groups of mm. people and in a th- country. And when you look at it, it's very Orwellian, isn't mm. it? Let's uh, totally. not talk about class. <laughs> that's right, mm. exactly. It's actually what we now refer to as gaslighting. Exactly. So, so it's so. Anyway, overall, class. <clears throat> it's not just a right-wing convenience to deny class. I guess this one message coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's also been a dispersion of focus across a range of types of social inequality and injustice, mm-hmm. as in the book you just mentioned, um, class in Australia. So. The idea that not all social inequities can be reduced to income and wealth, for example, there's also inequity related to other aspects of background and identity. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Raven Con- uh, Connell talks talks about this in reference to intersectionality. Yeah, so meaning intersectionality, I guess, of backgrounds and identity associated with or intersecting with, <laughs> interacting with inequality or injustice or disadvantage like perhaps ethnicity, ability, disability, gender, transgender, sexual orientation. Yeah, mm, That's right. Like that. To quote Raywin Connell, and I quote him there, if I ever thought that class was the one key to understanding social dynamics, by the end of the 70s I'd ceased to think that. I was well away on a multi-structure sociological path. I was trying to analyse class and gender and sometimes trying to get imperialism or colonialism in there somewhere, <laughs> unquote. But certainly class was not given up 
as an important analytical and real-life component central to understanding inequality, injustice, disadvantage, together with, as you, as you said before, Jennifer, mm-hmm. gender, sexual or- orientation, race, ethnicity, age, ability. As life has become more complex, our ways of understanding it need to become more complex as well, mm-hmm. but... They need to include. They need to include class as a very important factor. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the challenge is to keep our eye on class, mm. even while seeing how class intersects with a range of identities and mm-hmm. social entrenched social situations. That's right. Yeah, That's right. So for listeners who have just tuned in today, we're talking about class, how it has gone out of fashion to talk about class but also about how it seems to be coming back and I guess why we think it should be coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Ben Schneider's book, which we I referred to just before, Hard Labour, certainly adds to the evidence that class is not dead. Mm. He has been an investigative reporter for the Melbourne Age and the Sydney Herald Sun, uh, especially uh, talking in uh, several, several uh, of the brief, like in the mid 2015, 2016, especially about migrant and temporary labour, appeared in these newspapers before they were taken over by the nine entertainment uh, people. The book is replete with harrowing stories of blatant wage theft, mostly with the complicity of government authorities, especially the Fair Work Commission and and the Employment Ombuds people, deciding not to look there. Yeah, well, I'm sure listeners will remember that Huge scandals engulfing big firms like Coles, Woolworths, McDonald's, 7-Eleven and others, in the end, forcing them to pay hundreds of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. to powerless, mostly casual workers, to pay the wages they fraudulently withheld from people on the lowest incomes. And that's what Ben Schneider's done a lot of investigation work into. A truly national scandal. Schneider concludes his book by stating, and I quote, the emergence of a more heavily class-ridden society means that the dreams of a more equal post-war order are fading. How might this be changed? He asks. The most significant force with the potential to do so is organised workers acting collectively. Mm. And he refers several times to Piketty's analysis and suggests we can now see that enterprise bargaining, privatisation and economic liberalisation have made life worse for those without marketable skills or an inheritance. Superannuation, one as a workplace, again by unions as part of the accord terms have also morphed into a quasi-tax rot for the rich. And suggesting some changes, Schneider concludes, nothing of this will be easy. It is a monumental task to rebuild the power of workers, to create democracy at work, to establish a more equal society and to change society from below. It cannot be done by a change of government alone. But there is no alternative unless we want to live in a society of rising precarity, insecurity and inequality. That would diminish us all. Yeah, and and I guess we also like Jacques Hajun Chang's wise Mm. words in the conclusion of his lovely edible economics book. Mm -hmm. And he says we need to learn and appreciate different perspectives in economics including class analysis. Don't be afraid of class analysis. We have to do it. (laughs) 
And to quote him, it's like eating a range of different food items and different types of cuisine makes your economic diet not only richer, but more balanced and healthier. So to conclude, let's keep thinking and talking about class (laughs) and we'll certainly keep doing that on Think Again. And um, galloping towards our community announcement, I'd just like to announce a, a 3CR wine fundraiser this year. 3CR is selling delicious wine generously provided by 3CR supporter Jamsheed Wines. They're $20 per bottle and even more of a bargain if you buy in half dozen or dozen lots. Mm-hmm. You can order online, w3cr.org.au, or ring during business hours, 9419 8377. And as you're drinking, start talking about class. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our program. If you want to send us a message, please email borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available on podcast on your favorite platform and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.